The scripture this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 8, selected verses from Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. The covenant that you kept for your servant, my father David, as you declare to him, you promised with your mouth and have this day fulfilled with your hand. Therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant, my father David, that which you promised him, saying, There shall never fail you a successor before me to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your children look to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you promised to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea. O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays toward this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Oh, here in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. This is the word of the Lord. But will you pray with me? Gracious God, I I ask that you speak through me, and when and where necessary, in spite of me. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation in all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, in the time that I have with you all, I would like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled House Hunters. House Hunters. So I've been known to unexpectedly give anywhere between 30 minutes to 30 hours to a good HGTV marathon of House Hunters or Love It or List It. Uh, there's something about people trying to find or make their home perfect mixed with limited finances that can engulf me and make me wonder what happened to half a day. Solomon is in the temple dedicating the space after what has to be one of the longest house hunting expeditions in all of Israelite history. There had been talk of a temple during David's reign, but construction happened during Solomon's. Now, uh, in this long chapter in 1 Kings, we've skipped over the Frank Lloyd Wright-level details of construction and yawn-inducing measurement calculations, some decor descriptions, and landed with the lectionary today. 
here at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. Seven years of construction and a year of waiting. And now many priests, leaders, and lady will join during Sukkot. To, or I don't know if I pronounced that right. Sukkot. I should have gone across the street and asked for proper pronunciation. To Sukkot, to hear Solomon pray a theologically rich prayer packed with the knowledge of the past and and petitioning for a peaceful future. I know one thing. I couldn't have done it. Patience is definitely not my strongest virtue. From construction to consecration was eight years, and that's a low estimate of how long Israelites have been waiting for a fixed locale to faithfully worship, to experience the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Solomon plans the temple's inauguration during Sukkot, the the festival of booths where many pilgrims would be coming to Jerusalem to remember and to rejoice. This is a festival with a twofold purpose, to rejoice over the harvest and to remember how God covered the enslaved on their exodus to freedom. Solomon, ever the wise politician, or Solomon, ever the faithful servant, or maybe some mixture of both, realizes the connections of opening the temple doors wide during this festival. It is as if, to reference another home improvement show, that King Solomon is saying, move that bus. Or, to be contextually accurate, move those sacrificial cows. And they will come from east and west and from north and south. And they do. They come. They come ready to worship the priests, the Levites, the laity. This is truly liturgical. It is truly the work of the people. They come hands calloused by carrying the poles of the Ark of the Covenant. They come neck and back hung over, both in exhaustion from the work of carrying the Ark and in submission to the God who has engulfed them in grace and led them to promised lands and patriarchs. Solomon knows the power of prayer. With hands up to the heaven and arms outstretched, he summons the one who need not be summoned, the God of Israel's forefathers, and faith's future mothers, and speaks praise and petition to the un, to the incomparable God. Solomon's prayerful words reflect the faith of Israel. His first appeal is to God's sovereignty and God's incomparability. The true reign is not of a flawed but wise king who expands national boundaries, but the true reign belongs to a God like none other a God who is faithful to us despite ourselves. Solomon, in this beautiful place for God, speaks not to the placement of God in the life of Israel, but to the person of God in the life of Israel. It is a prayer about relationship. Solomon conjures up the promises of the covenant. The Lord God is always chasing after us loving us, protecting us, guiding us, dwelling with us. And the covenant is a reminder that no matter what we may scheme or plot to make this love not so, we are forever and always God's. The covenant between God and her creation is less about the promises we make, broken and tattered as they will be, even at our best, but more about the promises that we receive. The relationship precedes petitions in this inaugural prayer, 
during this festival that celebrates a relationship between God and God's people that is both historic and histrionic in the best sense of these words. This relationship between us and God is most clearly seen in the covenant. Solomon reminds us of those covenants, covenants between God and Moses, covenants between God and David. What Solomon knows is that we are radically dependent on the divine creator, sustainer, and redeemer. In spite of any covenant, agreement, or treaty we might make with the Lord, Yeah, the covenant is not about our commitment to God, but God's radical commitment to us. A commitment to us when we are obedient and disobedient, when our strides are aligned to the salvation of the world, and when we stray. A commitment to us in our bondage and in our freedom. It is this radical, jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring, committed relationship between creator and creation that Solomon remembers and reflects on as he prays for this place, this sacred place where the presence of God may be realized, though not contained. Our lectionary text this morning brings us here to Jerusalem, to the dedication of the temple, the temple, an edifice regarding the dwelling of a god. But this temple is not just a dwelling to just any god, but the god of Solomon and the god of Solomon's ancestors. A house of worship for the god who breathed into the nostrils of soil and formed humans, called us very good, and has been reminding us of our belovedness from the sands of creation to the seas of the Exodus. In famine, in war, in prosperity, and in peace, the God who is worshipped at this place has already moved and loved in ways that cannot be quantified or contained to human understanding. So in spite of seven years of construction, God will not remain at the temple in Jerusalem any more than God remains in this temple on Cameron Mills Road. But the temple is not just about God. It is also about us. The Israelites for years had to contend with the Ark of the Covenant because they were constantly on the move. And as they moved, God moved with them. The temple for the Israelites is about responding to the invitation to be gods in both practical and spiritual ways. Practically, the temple was about Israel's permanence in the land. A land that was once a distant dream is now marked with a temple built to pay homage to the one who is faithful to keep promises. The temple is Israel's way of saying, we are here. And we will let this be a place where we remember and rejoice, and rejoice in this God who never ceases to give up on us or to stop loving us. Practically, the temple is a building where Israel can be planted and rooted. The temple is also a symbol of their commitment to Yahweh. So much of this talk of covenant has been about God's relentless pursuit of us, but the temple stands as a physical manifestation of how we, too, respond to this invitation with commitment. On our best days, it is the divine domicile of our devotion. The temple is the place 
where we respond to God's promise of steadfast love, faithfulness, and companionship. Like Solomon, we enter into this temple and pray toward the God who is known by her faithful actions of the past as well as her promises of the future. The temple is that place where we rest with God, pray with, to, and for ourselves and others while moving in this waltz of memory and rejoicing. First Kings this, ro- this morning reminds us of the delicate theological paradoxes that surround us as people of faith. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. The mystery of the scripture this morning is that we are in relationship with a God who is both local and boundless. The God of Israel dwells with us just as he dwells with others. <coughs> For us, house hunters is less about finding some static place to worship God and more about finding those places where God dwells, whether they be the physical space of a place like Westminster in the Blomberg courtyard or the way the sunlight reflects on the beautiful creation here or outside of this sacred place. For God dwells, too, in the vastness of creation, amidst hilltops and winding and running waters. For God, too, dwells around kitchen tables and graveside services. For God dwells in newborn babies in the laps of grandparents, in stories of the past and in gifts of the present. Our challenge this morning is that we pay attention to the places spaces, and people in which God dwells, and that like Solomon in those faces and places, we lift up hands and stretch out arms and speak toward God and listen for God in those places, all the while knowing that God is uniquely ours and universally the world's. The incomprehensible love of God is uncontainable, and may these houses and dwellings where we glimpse grace be places of memory and rejoicing as we seek to discover our rhythm and the melody of God's mercy and love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.